Hey everybody, this is Carlos Colazo here to tell you about a new Baseball America podcast we're launching. It's called Future Projection and it features myself and our international writer Ben Badler where we discuss all levels of the game. From amateur players like top high school and college draft prospects and the next big international stars all the way up to what's going on in the major leagues. We really envision this as a long-form style podcast where we can have deep and often rambling conversations about everything going on in the game. Our first episode is live now and features discussion of 2022 high school outfielder Elijah Green, Yankees prospect Jason Dominguez, Vanderbilt standouts Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, as well as our thoughts on the scouting environment in 2021 and the challenges teams are currently facing. If that sounds like something you're interested in, check out Future Projection in whatever podcast listener you're using right now. Any app you use to listen to the Baseball America podcast should have Future Projection as well, but it is an entirely separate feed, so you'll need to subscribe to it separately in order to stay updated on each episode, which we're planning on bringing to you weekly. Additionally, it helps us get the podcast off the ground if you guys could rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. I know every podcast on the planet asks this of you, but it truly does help. So we appreciate if you can take the time to rate and review. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, the week that, that has been in college baseball, you know, uh, we got midweek games going. We got the tag end of, of opening weekend to, uh, to wrap up. And then we're going to get into the weekend two, the second weekend. There's a better way to say it of the college baseball season. We're going to preview some of the, the top games uh, for you to watch throughout the weekend. But first, I got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is brought to you by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're, uh, like I said, we're, we're going into the second weekend of college baseball. It's been kind of an eventful week around the country in terms of the midweek games. That's not something that I expected to say uh, ever in the 2021 season back in October or September. Uh, but midweek baseball is back, and uh, it, was, uh, it was interesting this week, as the, the first week so often is. So I when we last talked to folks, it was on Monday, there was still some, you know, opening weekend action finishing up. So there's been a lot that, that has happened since then that, that we can get to, but I, I imagine Joe, you've, you've been watching a lot of this uh, on ESPN plus flow and, and, and wherever, wherever it is you're streaming baseball games these days. Yeah, it was kind of a nice week because we, we got a little bonus with, with Monday being, as eventful as it was, obviously, we had the conclusion of the State Farm College Baseball Showdown, but you also had, you know, Vanderbilt finally taking the field after a weekend of trying to figure out if they were going to be able to play in, in Nashville. I think all the teams in the Nashville area were kind of in that same boat. I saw Belmont series ended up getting, ultimately ended up getting banged as well. So they were actually able to get back on the field. And that was great because Kamar Rocker and, 
and uh, which we learned, uh, and this is important, we learned his preferred pronunciation of his first name, Kamar, as opposed to Kumar. Uh, so good, to, good to know there and, and good on him for, you know, getting to a point where, you know, I imagine that's got to be kind of an awkward thing when you're a kid, when you're, when you're relatively young, even someone as, as talented and high profile as him, maybe being a little bit hesitant to tell people, uh, actually, I kind of prefer my name pronounced, you know, this way. So good on, good on him for that. Um, Cause I imagine if I had a, a unique name in that way that, that people weren't used to saying that I would, um, I would probably have approached it similarly and, and waited, waited a long time to tell people that I preferred it a different way. But, but he and Jack Leiter finally got on the mound on Monday. Uh, you know, there was an interesting game with, you know, LSU and Louisiana Tech. that was kind of a back and forth affair. We got to see, you know, LSU's offense come alive a little bit in that game. Uh, so there was a lot of stuff on Monday, which led into, like you said, a, a good Tuesday and Wednesday of, of midweek games. And it's important that we, we kind of, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, midweek games can be a slog, especially when you get late in the season. But the thing about this year is that we need to maybe appreciate them a little bit while we get them because there, there are going to be fewer over the second half of the season. Some conferences, that's a matter of uh, the way they've set their schedule up. The American Athletic Conference, for example, just said no midweek games. I think other schools are probably just approaching it from the standpoint of we need to allow ourselves to, um, you know, just kind of reduce risk for cancellations and wonky schedules and things like that. Well, there's also, you know, if you're playing four game series, like so many of these conferences are, you know, sure. do you want to add another game in the middle of the week to that? Right. So there was, you know, there was some, so it, it was a pretty big slate, I guess, all things considered and, and some good games There were a lot of good ones out here, you know, coastal extra inning win over wake UNC Greensboro, NC state played a wild one, East Carolina over Duke. That's a big win for East Carolina. That's a resume building win. So yeah, a lot of fun stuff the last few days. I've been rocking and rolling ESPN Plus, Flow Sports. Flow has continued. They had the games from Globe Life Field, which this week included a Stephen F. Austin win over Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma kind of continues a rocky start to its season. So um, lots of college baseball to watch. It's been a, a wonderful past few days. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's rewind it to those Monday games, I guess, quickly here. When we talked, um, like you mentioned there, Vanderbilt had not yet played. They have since swept a doubleheader against uh, against Wright State with Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter going. That got a lot of MLB draft types uh, very excited. And then uh, for good measure on Wednesday in, in their midweek game, they ran out Christian Little, who was projected to be a number or a, a first round pick in the 2021 draft before he made the decision uh, to reclassify, graduate high school semester early and enroll at Vanderbilt. So an impressive array of arms that they were able to run out to make their season debuts this week. Uh, Rocker and Lighter both were very good against Wright State. I kind of felt like I was a little bit on no hitter watch for a while. Neither one of them really came all that close to doing it, but in, in the early, early innings, it just felt like that was going to be uh, <laughs> good luck to to the right state hitters just starting their season now facing uh, the, those two guys. So that was impressive. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what you took away from, from Vanderbilt show, if it was if it was those two guys and their debuts, if it was some of the offense, I thought Parker Nolan looked very good. Enrique Bradfield, their uh, big time freshman center fielder came out and, and has been playing very well there. Isaiah Thomas 
got got going a little bit pretty quickly. So the offense looks uh, looks pretty good as well. Obviously, we'll know more just seeing more games from them and also seeing them against higher end competition. Although Wright State does have some pretty good pitching itself. Uh, but w- what did you take from what we've seen of Vanderbilt to this point? The offense certainly. Um, I'll, I'll agree with you. The offense looked impressive, especially when you we talk about the days by guys like Nolan and, and Thomas. And uh, But I also thought it was important that, you know, they even get a contribution from a guy at the bottom of the lineup, like Jason Gonzalez, who is kind of a forgotten man in that, that great recruiting class that brought in Austin Martin and others. Um, you know, he was kind of, he was part of that group that came in at the same time and was um, fairly highly touted himself and has had some ups and downs at Vanderbilt. And, and I say that to say that, you know, that that's an important, it, it, anything he kind of gives the bottom lineup or anybody at the bottom of the lineup is kind of like a gravy. And so the fact that, you know, they got something from him as well, I think was, was important offensively and shows the kind of depth they can have. But I just think it was, it was a great reminder seeing Vanderbilt these two, those two days in particular against, or by two games, I should say against Wright state was just a reminder that, Oh yeah. I mean, with these two guys with rocker and lighter at the front of the rotation, if, if they pitch at, anything close to their potential, Vanderbilt's just going to be hard to beat. I mean, obviously in any series, having those two guys pitch two of the three games in any series, good luck. You're just kind of playing for that third game in a lot of cases. And that is always, was always going to be true. But I think what we saw from Jack Leiter specifically, like I saw Leiter at the end of the 2020 season out in LA and he was good, but not great against TCU the day he pitched. And the stuff was good, but not great. And this was different. This, there was an electricity about his stuff in this game. And it wasn't just the velocity. It was, well, that was the big thing. I mean, he was on the TV gun. He was hitting a hundred. It was report. Our Carlos Colazzo talked to some scouts who were there who said it was more like 98, which is kind of funny to say, you know, it was just 98, but uh, that's an electricity that I didn't see in my admittedly small look at Jack Leiter last year. Um, so it appears he has kind of matured in, in the way his stuff is playing now. And so if, uh, you know, we, we, we've long, I think, thought about those two guys as, um, you know, maybe going one, two in the draft potentially. And certainly what we saw from them as first start won't tamper any of those types of expectations. And it is just, like I said, a stark reminder that, you know, these guys are very much going to be a player in the national race, which is obvious based on the ranking, but it's easy to look at a team like Florida and then, you know, think about how varied and versatile and, 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 and deep they are and kind of forget that, yeah, but if a team like Vanderbilt, for example, is pitching its first two guys at its highest potential, they're going to be hard to beat in any sort of situation, no matter who they're playing. Yeah, I, the thing with Vanderbilt is that those two guys are so, so good uh, that you know, that's going to give them an edge probably in any series. Um, you know, we need to see Jack Leiter against SEC competition it's going to be more about what happens after them. And I have no doubt that Vanderbilt has good pitchers after them. Of course they do. It's Vanderbilt. Uh, but the the big thing is, is going to be the, those two guys and getting the most that they can out of them. And I thought it was interesting that they pitched as much as they did on Monday to an extent, because, you know, that, that was a series that was supposed to happen. Friday through Sunday, like normal. And then there was snow in Nashville. And so it got pushed all the way back to a Monday double header and Vanderbilt still plays this week. And, you know, those guys have to pitch this weekend. So I, I was interested to see how much they threw them, uh, especially knowing that 
you know, Rocker particularly had been anticipating pitching on Friday would have worked for that leading up to it. Although I imagine by Wednesday of last week, they probably knew that that Friday was going to be very tricky. So I don't know. It was just kind of a strange situation for those guys to debut and they handled it great. And I'm sure they'll handle it great moving forward, moving off of Monday, but it was, it was good to see them be able to be efficient enough to throw five innings, even on a day when it would have been very easy to just get limited to, to three innings because of pitch counts and, and the rest of it. Uh, so th- that's, that's my, that's my Vanderbilt takeaway. We'll know more about Vanderbilt going forward, not necessarily this weekend. Uh, Georgia State is a good matchup for them, but so is Wright State. You know, I, I don't know that Georgia State is so much ahead of Wright State. Georgia State did, however, split a series against West Virginia over the weekend. So, you know, they're they're an intriguing team. We'll see. But I, I think the especially in regards to to Rocker and Lighter, the Georgia State strength is also on the mound. So obviously we're not going to learn if that's where their strength is, we're not going to learn more about rocker and lighter just because Georgia state pitched well against Vanderbilt. So, I mean, maybe we'll learn more because they're in close games, but we'll, we'll just have to see uh, where, where they go from here. The other thing wrapping up on Monday, of course, was the state farm college baseball showdown that uh, as, as Joe said, just before we went online, really just played to form everything that we talked about on Monday, just played out more. So uh, throughout the day on Monday, the sec went three and O in those games. And you know, Joe, I, I was most impressed with Arkansas on Monday. Not that I wasn't impressed with Arkansas before, but I, I feel like we, we hit Ole Miss pretty well. But Arkansas also finishes there at 3-0, and they pitched well the second two days particularly. And now they uh, – I, I leave that weekend feeling better about the Hogs than I did coming into it. I still don't know what more I want to see from them, but I do know I want to see a little bit more. I just don't know what that is. I, I guess ultimately that's – I want to see more consistency, just see more – innings from those those pitchers because you know some of them are all of them really are in new roles and it was a great opening weekend and and now I guess I'm just looking to see how that you know how that form shapes over the course of two three four weeks in a row and that's nothing they can prove immediately but that is you know just something I'm tracking that you know these are guys that are, are being asked to now be starters that weren't starters in the past. Can they keep this up over the, the course of a long season? I'm with you. I think that's, that's exactly right. I think it's just seeing this pitching staff try to replicate what it did this past weekend, which is impressive on its own merits, right? I mean, it's, if, if Arkansas had played a season opening series against, I don't know, Eastern Illinois, which I feel like they, they have, opened with Eastern Illinois. That is definitely, that is a real series that happened at least in like two of the last three or four years. Yeah. All right. Okay. So then we'd be kind of being like, well, you know what, like good on them. Uh, but we really, uh, we're going to need to see it against better quality competition. Well, this was against really quality competition and we can, we can sit here and kind of have a nitpicky conversation about 
well. Texas didn't look very good this past weekend. Clearly they were, in addition to having questions about Texas's offense more generally, also Texas was in a tough situation given what they had to deal with the week leading up. Like we could sit here and do that kind of back and forth thing, but the, the fact of the matter is they, they, in two of the three games they won, they pitched really, really well against quality competition. And, you know, I was ready after Friday. I was like queuing up the takes like, okay, it's great that Arkansas won 13 to nine against Texas tech, but can, is that, is that a sustainable way to win games for them? Because ultimately, yes, the offense was impressive in that win, but also Texas tech, you know, their, their bullpen kind of struggled and was, you know, walking guys. If I remember correctly, it was wild pitches in the ninth inning were also played a big role. So like how much of that is sustainable is kind of readying those takes, if you will. And then they really turned it around the last couple of days with the, with the way they pitched. And it was, it was also not just a matter of they got, you know, a good start and then, you know, through the same bullpen guy two days in a row to get it done. I mean, we saw a lot of Arkansas arms those last couple of days. And for the most part, they all pitched well. And so I, I do have a little more optimism about this group. And I, I think I'm most interested. I think this is kind of what you're, you're getting at a little bit too, is that, I'm kind of interested to see how much shape shifting this group does because, you know, in the game against Texas, for example, they start Peyton Paulette and he looks, he looks great. Um, but the guy closing that game was Caleb Bolden and he threw four innings and Paulette threw four and a third. You could easily see those roles flipping and maybe. Well, also Caleb Bolden, they've already released their, um, that was good information this weekend and good Caleb Bolden is pitching on Thursday night. Okay, so see there you go. So like that, that's kind of proves my point. Like, Paulette's in the rotation too. They've just it's a four it's a four game right. weekend, and so you know they're they're throwing them in there. It, I what what they have now is not settled. I, I would say that that's yes. that's probably the case. And okay, Bolden's listed as the starter, but what does that mean? He is coming off of pitching several innings not that long ago. Is this an opener situation? Is this three innings? And they know it's three innings. Like I I don't know what it is. Yeah. And so that's, that's exactly the point I guess I was, I was making there. So, because th- those roles could be, I think the roles are pretty, still pretty fluid at this point. And if it is an opener situation, which it may or may not be like, that's the other thing Arkansas showed us. And what I was getting at a little bit is that they, they threw a lot of arms <laughs> over the weekend and they, for the most part were, were incredibly effective. And I came away pretty impressed with Lyle Lockhart, a guy who I thought was going to be, have an impact. Like I never, I, I never thought he wasn't, but I, I kind of wondered if, Maybe he's a guy you throw in midweek games to the extent they, they were going to have midweek games. You know, maybe he's your fourth arm. You know, if, if you get a short start from somebody, he's a guy that can come in and give you innings. I was kind of a little more dubious on, is he a guy you're going to trust in SEC play? And I guess we still have to see or against a quality opponent. Well, TCU's quality opponent struck out eight and four and a third innings. And he's not typically a big strikeout guy. Um, and against a pretty pretty mature lineup with TCU, obviously. So that, I, I enjoyed what I saw there from Lyle Lockhart. Maybe I've been underselling a little bit what he can be for Arkansas. Maybe he is the type of guy who ends up in an SEC rotation. I don't know that he, he is not going to turn into the SEC pitcher of the year, uh, but maybe he's a guy who I was underselling a little bit for his ability to uh, be in the rotation once SEC plays rolls around. So, you know, it's not like they had an offensive explosion last two days of the, of the, the weekend, but I'm really not concerned at all about Arkansas offensively because of that. Um, so I, I really, I, I'm like you, I really came away impressed the last couple of days with the Razorbacks because I think they're, you know, in the preseason, Dave Van Horn talked a lot about this is the best collection of arms that we've had in a long, long time. And I'm always a little bit of dubious when I hear that because I'm, 
that can be true. And also, okay, but what does it add up to? Because you, you've got a lot of guys to your point in new roles and that's just kind of a tough thing sometimes. And this, I think was a big first step in proving to me and everyone else that uh, it actually is going to matter. That they have this, this good of a collection of arms because here's what it can produce over a, in this case, two game span to end the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So they're a team to watch moving forward. And, you know, we ran them up decently in the top 25. Uh, I know Hawks fans feel like they, they still should be higher, but that, that's definitely a team that, that played outstanding on opening weekend. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to see where they go from here now. Uh, one of the other things that, that was pretty notable this week was that Oklahoma State finally was able to open Obrate Stadium. That's something that has been long, long, long anticipated. They thought they played the final game of Alley P in 2019, and then Obrate got delayed a little bit, and so they had to open 2020 back in Alley P Reynolds Stadium, but they were going to open Obrate, as I recall, in like April of last year, and then obviously that didn't happen. Uh, but they were finally able to do it, um, this week against uh, Arkansas Little Rock won that game. I uh, I was watching the stream and the stadium looks fantastic. I also have what was sent you know some uh, a, a book of pictures basically describing uh, the the stadium and you know e- everything I've seen about Obrate uh, looks truly fantastic. I need to get to Stillwater now to to see it up close and in person, but it, it, it is definitely living up to, to the billing from what I've seen so far. Uh, Joe, what, what did you think of your, your first look at, at Obrate in action? Yeah. Awesome. Really, really, really looked good. And uh, long overdue, like you said, not just, not just in terms of because they had waited so long to do it, but also the venerable Allie P. Riddles had um, overstayed its welcome, if you will. Uh, so I, I, uh, I was excited to see it open. It looks, it, it looks the part, like it really looks the part among, uh, to set it among the, the best facilities in, in college baseball. So uh, good on Oklahoma State. It's a program with, uh, which is on a really good run, just generally in the big picture. We talked about that this offseason. So really, really big thing for, for that program. I, I remember early on last year watching, watching streams from, from LAP. It must have been a midweek game. Was, I don't even remember what it what it would have been that I was streaming early last season where it was an Oklahoma state game at, at Alley P. And it kind of struck me as like, have you ever been at like a, like a dinner party or some sort of event at someone's home where you, you kind of stick around and like, it's always kind of that awkward thing of like, when do I, when do I leave? Like, even if it's, even if you're not looking for a reason to leave, you just kind of need to find the right balance of like, well, I don't leave too early, but, but you, you wait too long. And then you look around and realize that like you've waited too long to leave. And now it's kind of awkward because it's just like maybe you and the host and just a couple of other people. And now it's going to be more obvious that you're leaving. And it kind of felt that way at LEP last year where like, where, it, you know, the, the, the padding on the wall, like in some places, like was kind of torn and like, I guess just hadn't been repaired necessarily like they would normally maybe. And out behind the right field fence, you could see there, they had a bunch of equipment out there that I don't know if it was part of, you know, stuff they were moving or that they just didn't need anymore, that it was sitting out behind the fence, just kind of hanging out, like just a gathering of, of just 
stuff out there behind the fence that you could see. And so it, it really did kind of feel like they had saved the party a little long, but they were having to play out the string there. So I think in addition to everything else, I think they're just pretty excited to uh, be able to finally just clo close that chapter and, and, and open the new stadium. And it, it lived up to it. Um, I'm, I'm excited as well to, to get my first in-person look at it. And if Oklahoma State continues to play the way it has the last, you know, however long it's been under Josh Holiday, they certainly will give us plenty of reasons to get out there and see the team in person. Absolutely. No doubt about that. Oklahoma State, I guess what, they're now 3-0. They, they swept Wichita State in a thrown-together series, doubleheader, whatever it was, in Wichita following a lot of weather issues uh, last weekend, and they now have a win against Little Rock. So a uh, solid start to the season for the Pokes, who don't always have you know, they, they don't always come out of the gates, guns a blazing, but this year uh, a nice start and, and we'll see how that carries over for them. Uh, I guess those were kind of the bigger things that stood out to me this week. Uh, there were a variety of upsets in midweek action. There always are. Um, Texas A&M lost, Oklahoma lost uh, to Stephen F. Austin um, there's, uh, the, 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 there's just a variety of things like that, uh, out there through, throughout this, uh, Joe, did, did anything midweek wise upset or otherwise stand out to you? I think it'll be interesting to see because the, the loss for A&M against Abilene Christian and then Oklahoma against Stephen F. Austin, which was coming off of, I think we, we touched on it, I think a little bit on the Monday podcast, but it was just like a passing reference. If, if we did was to. Oklahoma losing a game to Omaha over the weekend. Those two teams, and we will get to this, I'm sure, are, are playing in the same tournament this weekend. And there's an air of, I don't want to say desperation, but there's certainly an air of urgency, I would assume, in those places where you can understand, especially in Oklahoma's case, they've just had such a weird opening to their season where they tried to schedule a bunch of stuff and it didn't work out for a number of different reasons. So they end up throwing together something at home with Omaha and good on them for, for you know, finding games for Omaha also because Omaha was in a similar position um, and then kind of getting out there and trying to make it work as best they could. Well, they play those games and they have two games at globe life in the midweek, which if those had just been home games, I have to wonder if maybe the Tuesday one against Stephen F. Austin gets maybe pushed to the following week or something. Um, but because they were games at globe life, which I presume are, you know, they want to play those because it's a big opportunity for those kids. So well, and I also presume Oklahoma doesn't control them. Correct. That's exactly, yes. So they want to play those games, but also like those, you know, have been scheduled by, you know, outside groups and, you know, there's a lot of different interests that are involved in those games, if you will. And so they are inclined to play those. So then they have to play two, you know, two, um, you know, uh, midweek games in a, in a week when otherwise maybe they, they wouldn't have. So now they, they go into this tournament. So it's, you can kind of understand at least a little bit why Oklahoma had a little bit of a rocky start to the season, but I think moving forward, those are two teams that we'll have a close eye on because those are certainly on in any circumstance, those are the types of unexpected losses that you just don't, those teams don't typically take. And we talked about this with A&M over the weekend that they kind of notoriously tend to their ceiling. It sometimes has been limited within the sec, but they typically really take care of business in the midweeks 
and against lesser competition on the weekends. I mean, if 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 you would say AM has any sort of MO, it's typically that they lay waste to their non-conference schedule and then they get into conference play, and obviously it gets a little rockier from there as it does for all SEC teams. But so this the, the fact that it's kind of been the opposite this year um, has certainly been uh, reason to raise some eyebrows. Two and three against Savior, Abilene, and Tarleton State is uh, is not what I expected for AM. So I think the talent's there. I was higher on the Aggies coming into the season than Joe was. Maybe I should have listened to Joe a little more, uh, but they're, uh, they're, they're searching for it right now, and we'll see how well they dig themselves out of it. But right now, that's, uh, that's not where they want to be, and that's not where they expect to be, and it's not where they should be. So they're going to have to find some answers and, and find some answers in a hurry because, yeah, it's not, it's not getting any easier. And I don't want to like say that Xavier is not a good team because the Musketeers are routinely very solid, but seeing them go and win a series opening weekend in College Station, um, it is it was very surprising. And I think we mentioned this before, like Xavier typically schedules these series, but they don't always win them. They're, they're, not, they're not the kind of team that's going out and usually upsetting the, the major conference teams that they're playing the first few weeks of the year. They're usually going out and, trying to get one win there. Uh, you know, they, they played, uh, Xavier played Ole Miss last year, I think in week two and got absolutely just run out of Swayze basically. And that was abnormal in the other way. And now they, their next trip to an SEC stadium uh, is abnormal in the, 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 the total opposite pendulum swing with the, with the series win. So I don't know what that means for the Musketeers in the big East. I don't know what that means specifically for AM and the SEC, but I do, do know that it leaves AM in uh in a little bit more of an urgent situation, like you said, Joe. All right, we're going to get to previewing uh the second weekend games. Uh, but first check this out. All right, Joe, we're uh we're gonna start to turn our attention to games that are coming up this weekend. Uh, and every, every week on our, our preview podcast, we're going to, to run through about five series slash tournaments that you should try and keep an eye on throughout the course of the weekend, or at least that, that we're keeping an eye on throughout the course of the weekend. Uh, I pick the, I, I pick a few of them. Joe picks a, a couple of them and, and then we just kind of, kind of hash out how we feel about, about the series and, and try and let you uh, know who we think is favored. Not, not outright picks. It's impossible to, to pick some of these things given the round robin nature of, of various tournaments and, and the like, but we'll, uh, it's not like you're betting on college baseball anyway. You don't, you don't need our precise picks, but we'll, uh, we'll try and try and run through these, these for you. So um, yeah, let's, uh, let's just start here with the number one team in the country. They are Ole Miss, and they are playing UCF this weekend in a series that a week ago would have been a little more interesting because there was a number next to UCF's name last week, uh, but then they lost a series to FAU, fall out of the top 25, and now go to Swayze needing something because it's been a rough go for UCF to this point. 
Uh, Ole Miss, meanwhile, is flying 4-0 and you know, just continuing to, to look outstanding doing it. Joe, uh, what, do you, what do you think of this series? And do you think that Ole Miss's now 20-game winning streak, which dates back to last year, the longest in the nation right now, is that in jeopardy this weekend against the Knights? Yeah, if for no other reason than, you know, UCF is among the better teams they will have played during that winning streak. So I think if you're asking me if, if the streak will continue past the weekend, I will say no. I think UCF maybe gets a game here. If for no other reason than UCF is a, is a desperate team at this point. Uh, desperate is probably too strong a word. UCF is definitely searching for something at this point. So I think it will be particularly motivated to get a win out of this weekend. Uh, but it would not be shocking if Ole Miss continued uh, a pace with uh, UCF. The pitching just obviously you saw the scores in the FAU series. The pitching was just not particularly good. Um, you know they got a decent start from Colton Gordon, but outside of that, it was really not a not a super great weekend on the mound for UCF, which will go into the week with a team ERA nearing ten, which I am told is not particularly good. So uh, that will be uh, something to watch there. You know, offensively, the numbers aren't super pretty either. But what I will say is that you kind of see what what you kind of see the things that you need to see for to have more confidence in this this offense. Meaning, you know, Jeffrey Pena, who it was a guy who was going to have to be a catalyst for that lineup, has been that. Alex Freeland, uh, probably UCF's best freshman, who uh, Greg Lovelady had a lot of really good things to say about leading up to the season has been awesome so far. So there's that Uh, Ben McCabe and and Jordan Rathbone, two of the better power bats in the lineup aren't hitting for a ton of average, but they've hit for some pop. So uh, that is a good sign there. So the offense, while the numbers overall hitting 264 as a team are not, um, are not as high as you, especially that you might think they are considering how high scoring that FAU series was at times. It's really more about what we're going to get, on the mound. And I think there's, if, if you had to go one way or the other with UCF, I think that gives them a little more of an opportunity to, uh, to compete when you consider that, you know, Ole Miss's pitching is a little more of a certainty right now than, than its offense is, even though there's a lot to like in the Ole Miss lineup. Uh, there is a chance here for UCF to be able to compete if, if the pitching is, is a little bit better. Um, but man, you know, if, if no, no shots to FAU because FAU has a good offensive group and that's one thing FAU does well, year after year, but, um, but man, you know, getting, getting beat up like they did last weekend certainly doesn't inspire a ton of confidence, but if you're looking for silver linings, it's that, you know, I, I think I like their chances to be able to limit Ole Miss's offense a little bit and give the offense time to work versus the inverse of that. Yeah. The thing that UCF, I guess, has going for it is that it did last year sweep Auburn in Auburn. So it's not going to be intimidated I don't think going in to play the number one team on the road it also obviously is the beneficiary of not having to see Swayze with full attendance Um, that's one of the the louder parks in the country if uh, if they pack them in there and I'm sure they would for the number one team in the country for its first weekend at home but yeah it's still I want to say that I, I think UCF wins a game because we did just recently pick UCF to win the American and say they were the say they were a top 25 team coming into the, the, the year. But, oh, I don't know. Ole Miss just feels like a freight train right now. Uh, I, the, the safe thing to do would be to say UCF wins a game, but 
I would not be surprised if Ole Miss still has a winning streak coming out of the weekend. One significant thing to watch with Ole Miss is that Peyton Chattengay, their second baseman who has really been a spark plug the last, uh, I guess, whatever two seasons that we've had last year and this year, uh, since he showed up at Ole Miss, has been a, a real catalyst at the top of their lineup. He got hurt on Monday. He's expected to miss a couple weeks with a hamstring injury. Um, so they are going to be missing him. I don't think it's going to slow the offense down too significantly, but it does take some of the speed out of the lineup. That was one thing that without Servideo coming into the year, Ole Miss was kind of watching. They figured they were going to have enough power without Keenan and Servideo, but without the just the the dynamic ability of Servideo early on in, in the order, they are missing a little bit of that now without him and without Jerry and Ely for that matter. I mean, hard to, would have been hard to count on Ely just given the football commitment uh, that he had in the fall and, and how fresh he was, or, you know, how, how new he would have been coming into to, to the baseball season, but he still is one of the fastest players in the country. And, and they're also without his services throughout the the whole spring. So maybe a little less speed on the base paths uh, coming at UCF this weekend, but still when you, when you consider how poorly UCF has pitched to this point and how well Ole Miss can pitch and has pitched, I, I think that this, uh, this is a bad time to be playing this series. If you're, if you're UCF. Yeah. I mean, no, no doubt about that. Um, there really hasn't been a good time to play Ole Miss the last couple of years. So uh, that's, yeah, and I, I'd kind of, you know, we talked about the FAU series loss, but I, I'd kind of, you know, forgotten too that, I mean, UCF is coming off a 7 nothing midweek loss to Stetson, which uh, Stetson has its own talent. It's not a, a team without talent and without the ability to compete, but uh, certainly you would have liked to have seen a little more fire out of a team that had come off a series loss to FAU in that, in that midweek game. So, um, you know, may, maybe I, uh, Maybe I'm a little too optimistic about their ability to, to at least get a game in this series, but I guess we'll I guess we'll see. Yeah, I'll, I'll say one last thing here: the zero that Stetson has against UCF, not that surprising. The seven that Stetson had against UCF, much more surprising, and just fits the larger trend of the the way that UCF's first week has gone. So uh, they're going to have to get right in a hurry here, uh, because meanwhile, East Carolina looks really good. Tulane has been a little bit of a mixed bag, uh, but the, the Houston looked looked strong. We'll have to see them against better competition than they faced on opening weekend, but things are not going to get a whole lot easier even once they get into uh, play in the American. So UCF uh, going to need going to need to try and find something this weekend at Ole Miss. Moving on, uh, we've got the start of ACC play this weekend. Remember, because the ACC went to 12 conference weekends, they now have to start uh, on this, the second weekend, when you combine the, the 12 weekends with the fact that most ACC teams either take their finals week off completely or have to be home for it. So just the way the schedules work out, that meant that pretty much everyone, except for Louisville and Clemson, and we'll get to Clemson in a minute here, uh, are starting ACC play this weekend. The There are several interesting series 
Joe is going to going to try and check out some Virginia and North Carolina. They actually start later today as we record this on a Thursday. Uh, so if you're listening to this on Thursday, um, you, you're going to catch the, the the first game of that series. But if you're if you're listening to this on Friday, uh, UVA and UNC are already one day into that series. Uh, Duke has Boston College. We've talked before about just how interesting BC is. This is a, a big test. Duke has had a, a nice start to the season, nice solid start. Uh, they get BC at home. Interested to see how that one turns out. But Joe, the series that I really want to talk about is the ranked matchup of Georgia Tech and NC State happening in Raleigh. The Wolfpack uh, had the first weekend disrupted because VMI had some COVID issues. Ultimately, NC State was able to schedule a doubleheader against Davidson. They swept that, uh, but hard to know, just given the circumstances, exactly what we were looking at there. Meanwhile, Georgia Tech got pretty much everything it could handle from Eastern Kentucky, still won the series, uh, but it was not it was not an easy series win against the Colonels, who are expected to compete at the top of the Ohio Valley. So now they got to get it going in in conference play, what do you see from this matchup in Raleigh? Well, probably a lot of runs uh, for one. And I guess that's kind of my, my challenge to, to one of these two teams. What, what I'd like to see coming out of this weekend is one of these two teams kind of show us something on the mound that gives us a little more confidence in what we've seen in the early going. It's not that Georgia Tech gave up what I would call an exorbitant amount of runs against Eastern Kentucky, but they had some, some bullpen mishaps, and they got some, some shortened starts. Some of it, I'm sure, by design, but um, you know, I, I, I'm going to be curious to see who, uh, who of these two teams, which of these two teams, I should say, ends up pitching better, because that's really going to be the question for both of them. Both of them can hit. Both of them have deep position player groups. I think these are two of the deeper position player groups in the ACC if that's what it we're all about, these two teams would be, would be uh, in the mix to, to maybe win a conference title, but there are questions on the mound. And, and for Georgia Tech, it's, it, they're slightly different questions. So with Georgia Tech, it's more like, you know, what do we expect from, from Brand Herter as he kind of continues in, to get back on the mound and kind of get back in the swing of things. Um, it's kind of a, a similar thing with, with Andy Archer, who's had his struggles with um, injuries throughout his career, and then Sam Crawford in, the, in a bit of a new role. What do we expect from those guys? Whereas with NC State, it's kind of a similar group of guys from what we've seen there, um, a little bit different issues, but it's more like, is are one of those guys, do one of those guys have the high-end potential to be a true Friday guy or a true Saturday guy, or are they just going to kind of continue to mix and match on the mound? Because with, with Georgia Tech, it's there's no doubt about Brand Herter's ability to be that if he's healthy, if he's throwing the ball well. There's even a little bit of optimism about a guy like Court Rodig. Uh, who threw against Mercer. So he probably won't be starting in, in the series necessarily, but he is the type of guy who has high end ability that could be a guy in that role with NC state. It's like a little less clear if, if they have that one type of guy, the guy who, you know, we saw last year with Nick Swinney. So we won't ultimately know all of those answers in one weekend, but I am curious to see who ends up pitching better in the weekend, because it might give us some hints between these two teams that are, are really in a similar place in the ACC pecking order right now and feel like pretty similar teams in the way they're constructed. Um, This is a big series in terms of trying to establish position there. I think it's going to come down to 
when the weekend is over, when we look back at the box scores, which of these two teams got, you know, the one big start from one of their starters to set them apart or got the one game where the bullpen really stepped up and shut down the, the opponent, because it's going to be a tough ask for both pitching staffs against these two lineups. Yeah. Runs are definitely going to be in order. Uh, NC state's hitting four Oh two as a team. <laughs> that's uh, that's remarkable three games into the season, but yeah, they're, they're going to have to find some answers on the mat. And Oh, by the way, they're hitting four Oh two, but Tyler McDonough is only hitting two thirty one, and Jose Torres hasn't played. He uh, he's dealing with an oblique strain, I believe. So they're missing him at shortstop. Luca Tresh has been off to an incredible start. We were interested in how they were going to respond without Patrick Bailey behind the plate. Well, Luca Tresh, at least offensively, is more than filling that role. Um, still a significant loss to be without Bailey defensively, although there is a feeling that the Tresh is uh, is much better and is ready to handle that role. But uh, you, you are still losing something without having the the first round catcher back there still. Uh, yeah, so I I honestly don't know how this one's going to go. I, it's going to come down to the bullpens ultimately, uh, especially this being an early. Th- that's how Georgia Tech NC State series usually go, and then especially this being in the second weekend of the season, this is going to be about bullpens. I honestly. It's a toss-up for me. I like what NC State has in Kent Kleiman, but beyond him right now, I don't know. Um, Dalton Feeney was bad in his first outing. Kanan Silver has given up some runs. I mean, Kent Kleiman gave up runs too. I feel like Georgia Tech maybe runs a little bit deeper, uh, but you know, them being on the road, it, it's going to be tricky. Uh, these games are are going to come down to the end and, and who's pitching better at the ends of the games. And uh, we'll just uh, we'll see how that how that shakes out. But I if you like offense, NC State Georgia Tech is definitely a spot that you're looking uh, this this weekend. Yeah, just quick two quick things on that real quick. I the thing about NC State, I mean, some of that 402 averages, they had a I think it was a 1613 loss actually against UNC Greensboro in the midweek. That's part of it. That their bullpen blew. Like they got up big early and then the bullpen couldn't hold it. Exactly. And they played Davidson over the weekend. And if, if Davidson can do one thing, it's it's pitch. So like while that 402 average is um, inflated based on a little bit of competition, like it's not like I mean, this was not a situation where they were playing a completely overmatched set of foes. So I think there is some reality in there about how just how good that lineup is. And secondarily, I, I agree with your general sentiment about the bullpen. Certainly with Georgia Tech, you like – a couple of their singular talents in the bullpen. When you talk about Luke Bartnicki and a guy like Zach Maxwell, um, they can be two real game changers at the back end of the bullpen. Now, neither of them are going to be the guy that comes in and throws, probably throws three, four innings or something like that. But if, if it ends up being the type of game where you just need to kind of find, you know, two guys to give you the last couple innings. Um, certainly I like those guys uh, versus really much of anything so far that I've seen out of the NC State bullpen. All right, moving on. We have the Reedy River rivalry, Clemson, South Carolina. They are getting this series off. Uh, we are very happy to, to see them be able to play this uh, with the ACC expanding the, uh, the, the season. They had to move it up a week, uh, much like 
uh, Florida and Miami had to move their their series up a week. Ditto uh, for Clemson and South Carolina. But this is annually one of the best rivalries in college baseball. Uh, we ranked it really high when we ranked the the best rivalries in college baseball during the off season. And this is a really intriguing series. South Carolina comes in ranked. They they've played very well to this point. Uh, but I've been impressed by what Clemson has done so far. They they won a series. They swept a series at home against Cincinnati on opening weekend. And that's a solid Cincinnati team. And I thought Clemson took care of them pretty well. The Friday game was close. Evan Shaver, the Cincinnati ace, pitched well. Uh, then from there, Clemson kind of took control of the series, I felt like. And I'm very interested to see what this Clemson team does against South Carolina particularly because South Carolina, I feel like, runs incredibly deep on the mound. And when I look at Clemson, I see a lot of new, at least offensively. Uh, it's true in the, the pitching staff, too. But, but especially this season, when we were looking at, should we rank Clemson? Should we not rank Clemson? When I was breaking it down, I just looked at the lineup, and I, I just felt like there's a whole lot of new there. And some of it isn't totally new. Some of it's second-year freshman guys. But there are a lot of younger players in that lineup, uh, and, and it's just going to be interesting to see how that comes to how, how they come to play against South Carolina. Uh, th- this is a lineup that, that started the season well against Cincinnati, but again, it's uh, it's going to be a bit of a step up in competition and certainly in in prominence. Uh, and the fans are going to play a factor here. I think it's not. Not full attendance, obviously, but this is a series that moves from, you know, you know across the state. They, they play one game at Clemson, one game in South Carolina, and one game at Fuller Field in Greenville. And, and so you get a different feel every day and everywhere you go, they're going to, there's going to be intensity, even with reduced crowds. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Like, it's a, it's a rivalry that truly is, the way they play the rivalry is truly built for the fans and for the state for every, you know, no matter what part of the state you live in to be able to reasonably, you know, get to those games and, and enjoy it. And so um, with that, not having it be quite as fran- fan friendly for understandable reasons in 2021, but um, will be a little bit of a different, different feel. Cause you're right. It typically is among the more, the better atmospheres, the more charged rivalry series uh, in college baseball. I like you, I'm, I'm interested to see what we see from Clemson here. Uh, you, you mentioned kind of, it's a lot of new, it's definitely true. I'm with you there. And, and some of it is the second year guys you talk about a guy like Dylan Brewer, for example, who's off to a, a good start as a, you know, a second year guy, we just didn't, we, we got just a little peak, you know, before, before things went away and in 2020. Um, so based on what we saw in the Cincinnati series, um, we saw a lot of depth production up and down the lineup for Clemson. I'm interested to see if that continues against a very talented South Carolina pitching staff. I think that will have to be, as we talked about on the Monday podcast, there's not a Seth Beer in this lineup, at least not an obvious one. So I think it is going to be incumbent upon Clemson to be the type of lineup that gets production from, you know, at least one through seven or one through eight, if not one through nine. Um, So I'll be interested to see if that kind of continues. On the South Carolina side, uh, we should probably take a moment to address what Wes Clark has done. Uh, I saw a ridiculous stat that he's something like, I think this was after the Dayton series, but perhaps it was after midweek, um, that he has hit something like 14 home runs in his last 20 games. 
He was one of the better power hitters in the country in 2020. And he's off to just an otherworldly start. He is 10 for 13. Uh, he has yet to strike out and he has walked seven times. I mean, that's uh, just hard to fathom how good that is. And like Dayton is like, we, we've talked about a few different teams this way, but Dayton is not like the weak sisters of the poor here either. Like, um, you know, they're, they're a solid A-10 program, not the type of team that really anyone's going to go in being like, I'm going to go 10 for 13 at the plate and not strike out. So really impressive stuff there. The offense in general has been, has been really, really good. This will obviously be a, a step up above Dayton for, for South Carolina, but I think this could be, I think certainly there is, a, there is a, um, a chance here. This ends up being a resounding South Carolina series win or a series sweep. And I think in that way, just because of the place this rivalry holds in college baseball, this could, I think in, in some ways, if it goes that direction, it may not, but if it goes that direction, I think this really could kind of be like South Carolina's coming out party as, as a, as a really a national phenomenon this season. So you're going with clear South Carolina advantage. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think so. I mean, it's, it's so hard to tell, like, you know, what, what do we really know at this early juncture? But um, I think I'd put it that way. Yeah. I, uh, no, I, I just think, well, first of all, we have to remember what, what do we do with the records show? Got to throw them out. Rivalry series. You got to throw them out and get those things out of here. Yeah. And, you know, you also have to, just throw out a whole lot of other things. This, this is going to be a weekend that Clemson is very geared up for. I think Clemson is going to be very aware that South Carolina has the number next to their name and that they don't, um, or even if they do in some poll, and they probably do, there are a lot of polls, guys, uh, that the South Carolina number is, is a better number. So I'm sure they're going to play up that aspect of it. And they're also going to probably talk a lot about how Clemson hasn't lost this series much at all recently. And, you know, does that, does that play right? You know, I mean, South Carolina is going to use it as well. I'm sure that that part of it is trying to say like, this is the year we flip it, but, you know, I expect Clemson to win at least one of these games. I don't know which game. I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson came out of here with the series win I don't know. I, from what I saw in when I was, I mean, admittedly half watching them play Cincinnati. Uh, I was watching it while I was writing on Sunday night. I, I put the Friday game on. I, they look pretty solid. Um, you know, there are questions about the rotation after Davis Sharp. Caden Grice wasn't great. Um, and Monty Lee said this week he wasn't, they, they might have to tweak the rotation a bit. Um, but Ty Olachuk was good. Uh, they they have a really experienced guy in Matt Clark that they can deploy in a number of different ways. He threw four innings uh, in his his first outing. Uh, Rayesh Pandaya transferred from Wofford. A lot of experience there as well. So I like what they have on the mound. I like what they have offensively. I mean, the talent at South Carolina is better. That's why South Carolina is ranked. But there is something to be said just for the way Clemson has played in this series over the last several years. And so, yeah, I'm just not going to be surprised if, if Clemson does go pull us out. Now, Clemson is a little banged up right now. Keir Meredith, uh, one of their more experienced bats in the lineup, is he missed opening weekend. And it sounds like he'll probably miss this weekend as well. Uh, he's one of a few guys they're missing. So South Carolina has a health advantage, I think, but uh, – and, and, and an advantage in, in talent, but I, I just 
I cannot discount what Clemson has done in this series. That's an interesting point. It kind of serves as a little bit of a, just a, a general commentary on the way these two programs have operated the last, let's just say five years where South Carolina has often come into this series as on paper, the more talented team, even in years where they didn't end up being very good. And South Carolina's kind of been on this roller coaster up and down and up and down. And Clemson has kind of just been pretty steady. You know, they're always, always in regionals. They, they've had some teams that have been better than others and, and, and less good than others. But for the most part, they, they stay in a pretty specific, you know, part of, of the, uh, the pecking order nationally, where South Carolina has, has been so volatile year to year. So that is kind of interesting. Clemson's consistency in this series, I think, kind of tracks just generally with its current position as a program versus South Carolina's. All right. Uh, last series that I'm picking here is UCLA and UC Irvine. UCLA, we talked about it. Joe wrote about it. They lost a series to San Francisco. It was a stunner. Also stunned right now might be Joe that I just picked this series. Uh, but they, uh, they now have to get off the mat and go play Irvine, which threw together, threw together might be a little harsh, uh, on the spur of the moment, we're able to, to salvage their weekend last week. I believe they were supposed to have Fresno. Fresno had some COVID issues. They got Washington to come down and play them. Washington uh, was looking because they didn't necessarily want to fly into Texas, given everything that was happening uh, there weather-wise. And Irvine comes away with the series sweep. I honestly don't know what to make of that. Uh, I, I don't know. That, that, and that's why we're talking about this, Joe, because I'm confused by UCLA. I'm a little confused by what Washington did. Not so much confused that Irvine won that series, but for them to have swept that series, that's unexpected. I don't know if you know the fact that Washington wasn't expecting to play Irvine plays a role in that at all. But when you look at Irvine, I, I didn't pick them particularly well in the Big West. I uh, the, the Big West, they, they were a middle-of-the-pack team for me, despite the fact that the Anteaters have the best pitcher in the conference, in my estimation, in Trenton Denholm. Uh, I, he is an absolute fantastic pitcher, so much track record, so much experience. He gives them a shot every Friday night. But after that, there was, there was just some more uncertainty with the, with the Eaters. But from what I saw against Washington, it looked pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what you – I mean, Trent Denholm is the one guy who didn't give them uh, a good start <laughs> over the weekend. The other two guys, Nick Pinto and Peter Van Loon, combined for 11 scoreless against Washington. And so um, certainly uh, if you're UCLA, this is not exactly who you want to see who you want to see coming in. If for no other reason than UC Irvine just generally – and this part of this is a West Coast trope, but it's also true. UC Irvine built somewhat similar, similarly to San Francisco where going into last weekend, I didn't have any doubt that San Francisco, and I said this last week after on the, or on the Monday podcast, that I didn't have a lot of doubt that San Francisco could, could pitch well enough to, to stay competitive in that series against UCLA. I just kind of wondered if they'd be able to cobble enough runs together. And of course they, they end up doing it. And that's kind of what's amazing when you look at UCLA. So many of these series, you look at the stat sheet after the series and you go, okay, well, that's why they, you know, UCF lost the series to FAU because their team ERA is almost 10. Like you can, you can kind of clearly see where things went off the rails. And with UCLA, like, okay, you know, they're hitting 241 as a team. And now that's after, after the midweek where they, they collected a, a win over uh, Loyola Marymount, but 
you know, they're, they're hitting 241 as a team. The team ERA is three. Like, it's not like, you know, you'd, you'd like them to be hitting better, obviously. That's clearly the, the part that was a little, little more deficient. But it's not like San Francisco, we've talked about this before, just came in and, and, and UCLA fell apart or UCLA gave the games away. Like, San Francisco just kind of uh, soundly outplayed them. And so UCLA is not exactly the team that you kind of expect – you know, part of this is because of John Savage, just John Savage's disposition, kind of uh, UCLA's program and their history just generally. They're not really the program you kind of expect to show back up on the weekend and, and show a lot of fire and grit and anger and frustration, because I think that would be kind of the stereotypical thing we would we would look to see here is does UCLA come in and fire back? And, and they probably won't do that in a super overt way. But um, I think this would this type of series, while it does provide a test for UCLA also is exactly the type of thing UCLA might need to get back on track. Because if you come out of this winning the series, you probably feel pretty good about that. Um, the trouble is you are also going to probably be playing some low scoring games here. And as we know, anytime you're talking about one run margins, games can turn on a, a bad bounce here and a, you know, a, a ball in the dirt there. And, and those types of things always just create a lot of, a lot of randomness. So that has to make you a little nervous if you're, if you're UCLA, but um good opportunity for UCLA to get back on the horse if they can pull off the series win here. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, in my estimation, I guess the, uh, the best, the best thing going out West um, this weekend. And I, I'm also just genuinely interested in finding more about these teams. You know, when you look at UCLA, um, several of us, I, I think, are still, you know, even even having read what, what you wrote, Joe, about how USF did it, I'm still a little confused as to how that happened. And, uh, you know, like, like I said, I mean, this UCI team, I didn't, I, I picked them in the middle of the Big West, I didn't necessarily uh, see this coming. And then the, the thing about Denholm last week, like the number looks bad, I mean, he only threw one in and he, um, is he had some sort of lower leg issue. Uh, I honestly am not sure where he stands right now uh, as we record this on Thursday. Hopefully he's able to pitch. If he's not able to pitch, that's a significant loss for the Eaters. Um, but at the same time, they swept Washington largely without him. So I don't know how much it, it – obviously it affects them, but they do have pitch in depth behind him. Nick Pinto pitched great. Peter Van Loon pitched great. Um, outstanding name, Peter Van Loon, by the way. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where they go from here. But I, I, I think that uh, you know they have they have the depth to to overcome that. Uh, and while I would expect UCLA to win this series, I you know you, you can't count out Irvine. You just never. Doesn't matter who's coaching them over the years, whether it's John Savage or Dave Serrano or Skip or, or now Ben Orloff. Like this is a team that plays really hard and somehow winds winds up with a, a really good team year after year. All right, Joe. It's now time for uh, for your pick. So run through uh, run through what you got and, and any other notable series that, that we should uh, be keeping an eye on. All right. So here is uh, here are a few I picked out that are like kind of beneath the uh, surface level. Some of, some of them less so than others. Actually this week, I would say, you know, typically it is my, 
my habit to kind of dig two or three layers deeper than the surface level. I, I would say most of these are really just kind of just right below the surface level. They're all pretty important series, I think, for one reason or another. So I'll tell you what, I will typically I'll try to pick one. I will lay four out quickly and then I will let you kind of choose which one you find most interesting because I even while we've been doing this podcast, I wrote them down and I've kind of gone back and forth on which one I was going to highlight. So let's just do it this way instead. So um, we've got Illinois State going to Oklahoma State in Obrate Stadium. Um, Illinois State, a, a veteran older team, not afraid to go on the road, play good teams. We've, we've learned that about them. I think that's kind of a stiff challenge for a good Oklahoma State team. I think that could be a competitive series. Uh, Southeastern Louisiana playing at Arizona. Arizona needs, um, needs to, some feel good after struggling with Ball State earlier in the week. Um, Selah is um, a, a good team. I think probably roughly, uh, you know, about on par with Ball State, kind of a similar team in terms of um, what they provide. So Arizona obviously looking to play a little better than they did. Oregon State at uh, Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon took three out of four from Missouri over the weekend. Um, Grand Canyon also won a series with Oklahoma State beginning the 2020 season. So Grand Canyon kind of does this. Oregon State, we're obviously just looking for a lot more information on them after they looked pretty doggone good after, after kind of getting shut down by Jordan Wicks and Kansas State on opening day. They looked really good the rest of that weekend. So looking for a little more information on them. And finally, East Carolina going to Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern is just one in three, but context is important there. The sweep was at the hands of Tennessee. All of those games were close. And then Georgia Southern really put it on what I think should be a pretty good College of Charleston team in the midweek. So I have a sneaking suspicion Georgia Southern is actually maybe pretty good. So I don't think this is going to be any walk in the park for East Carolina to go on the road and, and win that series. What was my first option? Illinois State at Oklahoma State. All right. Let's uh, – we, we, we talked a fair amount about the Cowboys to this point. So let's go with Grand Canyon and Oregon State, which, like you mentioned, very intriguing – Grand Canyon off to a nice start, having, uh, you know, being up in Missouri a little bit. And we talked on Monday about how Oregon State, no shame in it, but they got shut down by Jordan Wicks on opening day. And then their offense just came storming back the rest of the weekend against Gonzaga and New Mexico. Now staying in Arizona, I don't know why, I should really look into why Oregon State used to host two weekends on their own in Arizona out in surprise. And now the last couple of years, they uh, they've just done the one, but they're still staying down there in Arizona this time, just going over and, and playing a different stadium in Phoenix or the Phoenix area. Uh, this, this time going to grand Canyon. That is uh, that is intriguing to me because grand Canyon has a lot of talent as you saw against Mizzou and, you know, Oregon state, going to going to hit maybe we'll see but it's a it it's a tricky spot for them I think and I also think it is a step up in competition you know I think Gonzaga is a solid team I don't know what to think of New Mexico at this point and Kansas State was confusing like Jordan Wicks clearly very good the rest of the weekend did not go well for them um, without without Wicks on the mat so now what is what is what do we know about Oregon State coming out of that first weekend? I still don't know that I know much. So look into uh, to find out a lot more this week. Yeah, and it's tough too because Grand Canyon, at least at this stage of the game, is is offense over over pitching. 
And uh, I, I mean, that's impressive on its own though, right? Because the one thing with, with Missouri, we always knew it's just going to be a tough road for them to compete in the SEC, especially this year. But we were like, but they'll probably pitch well. And there were some complications there. They, Connor Ash did not pitch. Trey Dillard did not pitch over the weekend. So uh, Grand Canyon didn't see a couple of the better arms on Mizzou staff, but there's still some, you know, there's SEC level pitchers on that staff. And, um, you know, they hit better than 300. Freshman Ryland Zaborowski, who in, in the WAC preview, I picked as the WAC freshman of the year, looking pretty good so far. He's sitting better than 500. So pat myself on the back for that one. Yeah. Just to just to interject here for a second, we we debuted the uh, freshman watch over at Baseball America today, Thursday, as, as we record this. That's where throughout the season we're going to be tracking the best performances of the you know best ever freshman class in the country. Ryland Sabaraski checking in at number three. How about that? Impressive stuff. Yeah, he really talented. I mean, he's a, he's a, ta- a player on a talent level that Grand Canyon hasn't always had. Um, you know, he's a guy, he was far enough back in the BA 500. He might've ended up at Grand Canyon regardless of the shortened draft, but certainly the shortened draft uh, made that a certainty after a certain point. So uh, they are happy to have him. Um, but I, I, so I think this could be a high scoring series just because I'm not sure what Grand Canyon um, brings to the table on the mound. Now, Zach Barnes uh, did throw really well, 10 strikeouts and six innings to start and Pearson Ole, is just a really solid starter. who's thrown a lot of innings for them. So there is the opportunity for Grand Canyon to maybe overachieve what my expectations are, but I, I also would not be surprised if this is another weekend where we, we come out of it kind of wondering like, man, this Oregon state offense, like maybe there's something there. So uh, we'll, we will have to see, but I suspect this may be one of those deals where, you know, Oregon state wins the series and we still kind of, we still kind of wonder like how, how real it is. And, and we'll just kind of have to continue monitoring as, as time goes on. Yeah. I, it's uh there's more that they used a lot of hitters uh, so far this season in, in that first weekend and more than I would have expected. I, but I also wouldn't have expected Andy Armstrong to be hitting 533. Not that you expect anyone to be hitting 533, but Andy Armstrong, I feel like I, I think of more as a defensive guy than a, a big time hitter in that lineup. So if he's able to you know, kind of make that jump and continue that, I, I think that's really significant. Uh, they, they hit for some power in a big league ballpark. You know, they, they hit six home runs. So I think that's really significant. Uh, and then, you know, Abel, we talked about just how he was solid, but maybe not amazing in his first start back, uh, but that's fine. He's only going to get better from here. You would have to believe. I, I think what Connor Jerpy did in, in his start, uh, you really have to have to like that, have to be impressed with, with nine K's over five and a third, um, you know, for, for the, the young pitcher there. So, you know, I, a lot to like about Oregon state. Uh, I, I think they win this series, but yeah, I, I, like you, Joe, I, I would not be surprised if, uh, they were going back home and I was still a little looking for a little more information about what their, their hitters were going to be like, because again, it's going to be warm. It's Arizona. The ball's going to fly a little bit better than it's going to, uh, for the next several months in Corvallis. Uh, important to note, this is a four-game series. It started to today, Thursday. Uh, being on the West Coast, though, you've got a little bit of extra time. So if you're if you're listening to this late on the Thursday, like, yeah, it still hasn't started yet, probably. Uh, but if you are listening to us on Friday, game one of this series uh, happened last night. Um, 
one thing to clean up here uh, with that Irvine UCLA series, we just got an announcement on starters from Irvine and Denholm is scheduled to start. So that's, that's great news. Uh, not so great news is that uh, UCLA will still be without Zach Petway. Again, he had some off-season injuries that he's just a little slow. They're being conservative on. Uh, you heard John Savage tell us that on the podcast here a couple of weeks ago. So Jared Karos against Trenton Denholm is your is your Friday start there. Yeah, I, quickly on UCLA too, because I feel like I kind of, with UCLA, I, I circled and circled and circled the drain and didn't quite land on the point I was, I was trying to make there. But part of the reason why that series loss to San Francisco is so tough to internalize too is that it's not even like they pitch particularly bad. Like you look at the numbers, Bergen was great. Karos and, and Estrini were, were not great, but were fine. And you figure just fine is probably going to be enough for UCLA in a lot of cases with their lineup. But it was just one of those deals where the, the, the pitching staff and the lineup were just not quite good enough. And so the challenge is, is I think they just need to raise their level a little bit on either side and they're probably okay. But that just kind of goes to show you that, that the margins are uh, thin, even against competition you think they should be able to handle pretty easily absolutely so that's uh those are the the series that we we've chosen to highlight here uh there's a fair amount of interesting action beyond that going on around the country but it is a little bit of a slower weekend uh not to be unexpected in in weekend number two a highlight definitely uh, is, is ACC play starting in that Reedy River rivalry series, uh, which still involves the ACC. So I imagine we're going to talk a lot about the ACC on, on Monday coming out of this weekend, but uh, hopefully we get some good action across the country and not just from, uh, from the Atlantic Coast Conference. We will be back here, speaking of Monday, we'll be back here on Monday to recap the, all of the action. We'll have a new top 25 to talk about. Uh, all of that excitement. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts, you can get the Baseball America podcast. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA, and we'll have coverage throughout the weekend over at baseballamerica.com. So make sure uh, to check that out if you are so inclined. So for Joe, I'm Teddy. We want to thank you for listening. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. We'll talk to you next time. See you then. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 